that. Good morning. All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. God bless you for being here today. Um, we're going to have a great time. We have been in this series through New 30 um, for obviously three or four weeks, and today it's no different. Here's what this series has been about. We are challenging you as a body to read through the New Testament in 30 days. Now, for those of you who have not been here, that sounds like a lot, but the New Testament really is... It's about that thick. You can do it easy in 30 days. It's aggressive, but we have challenged you because we're trying to develop a new habit in you. We're challenging you to read through it, and so we've given you all kinds of resources to help you accomplish this feat. We've given you a bookmark that has all of the reading, the daily reading plan on the bookmark. You can put it in your Bible, read every day what it, the chapters it says to read, move the bookmark to the next chapter, and so on. On the back of that bookmark, we've given you a SOAP method, which means SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. It helps you do your own daily Bible study. We've given you a SOAP video, an instructional video. We've given you Facebook, where we give you daily Scripture verses so that you will be involved in this journey. My blog, we also do um, Tuesday night school. How many of you have been doing Tuesday night school? Shame on the rest of you. Tuesday night school, all you have to do, you can do it in the confines, the comfort of your home. You just go to our website, yourepicenter.com. Their splash page comes up. You click the splash page, and it takes you to a live Bible study from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's simple for you to be involved in this. We are trying to ingrain in you a brand new habit because God's Word is alive. It's living. God's Word is the change agent for your life. Let me, let me hear somebody say amen on that. You see, it is God's word that makes you better. God longs to speak to you through his word. He longs to make you better. He desires to make you better. The, the, the prescription for your betterment is right here in God's word. It makes you a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife, a better student, a better soldier, a better business person, a better coach. It enables you to be better. So we are challenging you to get into God's Word because God's Word speaks to you. In fact, I want you to hold up your Bibles, everybody in here. Hold your Bibles up. We're going to start this off the same way we have over the last few weeks. Hold your Bibles, your phone, whatever it is that you have. Hold it up. Your iPad, real high, up in the balcony. Wow, look at that crowd. Here's the deal. I want you to hold it up. Don't put it down. You know what the deal is. I didn't say put it down. Everybody say this. God, speak to me today. Through your word. God, speak to me today. Through your word. All right, put them down. High five the person to your left and right real quick. Just give them a high five. Tell them how awesome they are. Yeah. Let me say this to you as we get started this morning. I, I, I want to be, this is not in the script, so to speak, but I want to be brutally honest with you. I want to be openly transparent, very candid with you. It is your desire to be in God's word that proves the authenticity of your relationship with him. Let me say that again. It is your desire to be in and to do God's word that proves the authenticity of your relationship with him. Let me illustrate it this way. 
the majority of people in this building today, on your person, you have some form of identification. That identification proves that you are who you say you are. For the most part, we all have a driver's license. That driver's license carries on two different meanings. Number one, it proves that you are who you say you are. But number two, it also proves that you have an inward knowledge that you've gone to driver's school, you know how to drive, you have experience, that inward knowledge. They take a picture of you and they give you the outward sign called a, a driver's license. Your driver's license says, I have an inward knowledge, I know how to drive, therefore here's the outward sign. It is the proof, it is my identification that I am a driver. Now for some of you, I'm not sure how you got your driver's license. <laughs> Kim, uh, <clears throat> she's a great driver. But, but here's the deal, I'm going to share this story with you, and today's a safe time to share it because I, I looked across the crowd and my parents are not here today, so I'm going to share the story. I, I was 13 or 14 years old, and you'll see why I, I can only share this because we're not here. I was 13 or maybe 14 years old, my parents were going out of town for the weekend, and they left me at home. Now, today, if you're 13 years old and you get left at home, you get arrested, but during that day, it was cool. I had a baseball tournament that weekend, so I was pretty preoccupied. And so they leave me at home. They take my two brothers with them. And so I'm home by myself. And let me just be perfectly honest with you. My, my dad had a sports car. And um, he left the keys to that sports car at home. You can see where this is going. And I promise you, the devil lived in the sports car. The devil lived in the sports car. I walked by this sports car every single day for three days. And I had, the first day I walked by, I, I was so tempted. I promised the hood on the car opened up and said my name. Mark, take me for a spin. And I, I was okay. I fought it off. Didn't do anything. Second day, same thing. The devil comes out of the hood of this vehicle and says, Mark. Take me for a spin. Fought it off fine. The third day, he came out of the hood, grabbed me, literally set me in the seat. <laughs> so I could not do this alone, so I called all my friends from the neighborhood, packed them full in the car. <laughs> began to drive all over the place. And let me just say this. I'm leaving my neighborhood, and I'm crossing the main road, and I'm going to go into another neighborhood. And just as I do, this police officer sees me. He whips it around, and we begin this high pursuit, this high-speed pursuit. I'm like knocking down mailboxes, going over like yards. And No, I'm just kidding. Y'all are so gullible. I'm crazy, but not that crazy. But here's what happened. It was a lot less adventuresome. But I did just drive, and I got several neighborhoods away, several minutes away from the house, and I was building up some courage, and I got into a neighborhood that I didn't recognize. I didn't know how to get out of. And I kept driving around this one area, and every time I would come by this one man's yard, this older guy, he came out, and he was looking at me. You know, I'm 13 years old. I'm trying to see over the steering wheel in the sports car. And, and so he looks at me again the second time. The third time, he looks at me again. The fourth time, he steps out in the street, holds his hand up like this. Now, I had a choice. I chose the safe thing. I came to a stop. And as I came to a stop, he stepped around towards the driver's side window. I began to roll the window down, but only about that much. 
I'm holding on to the steering wheel, white knuckle grip. And he says, how old are you, boy? And I said, Six, <clears throat> 16. <laughs> he said, then prove it. Show me your driver's license. At that particular moment, what are you supposed to do when you're 13 years old and you know you don't have a driver's license? I did what everybody would do. I floored it. And man, I made a beeline home and I was trying to get home before he knew exactly where I lived. And here's the deal. I, I couldn't drive. I wasn't supposed to drive. I didn't have the identification. I didn't have the proof that there was an inward knowledge. I, I didn't really know how to drive. I was doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. But when I thought about that concept this week, I thought about you. and I thought about most Christ followers. For many Christ followers, we have not moved to the identification level. We have an inward knowledge. But we have no outward sign of that inward knowledge. We, we know who Christ is. We have the inner knowledge, but, but we don't have the outward sign. You see, the outward sign is baptism. That is one of the outward signs. That's the driver's license. That is the identification. That identifies us with Christ. When we go deep, when we are baptized, and then we come up, our lives are identified with, with Christ. Let me say this to you this morning. Baptism is the first and foremost sign of your faith. It is proof that you are who you say you are. It is the outward sign of an inward knowledge. You see, baptism is one of the richest symbols of the Christian faith. Baptism proves to the world that where you stand when it comes to Christianity. It proves to the whole world. You cannot imagine with me how incredibly powerful it is and the freedom that comes with being baptized. Today, as a body, I want to talk to you about the hows, the whens, the whys of baptism. I want to show you how important baptism is to your faith. And I think you'll see why in a, in a few minutes. You see, baptism is paramount to your faith. It was paramount to the very message of Christ and to the very life of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself, he preached and, and commanded that all Christ followers, and I want you to hear this, all Christ followers should be baptized. In fact, what's beautiful about Christ is he gave his life on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he arose from the grave. He spends a little bit of time on earth after the resurrection just to, to reveal himself to those so that there would be proof of his resurrection. And just before he ascends to heaven, he gathers all of the disciples together for this last final conversation. Now, he brings them all together and you would think that this conversation would be nostalgic. You would think that Jesus would get together with his disciples and say, hey, you remember when? Because this is his last opportunity. This is their, the last interchange, the, the exchange of dialogue that they're going to have here on earth. And so Jesus, you would think he would say, hey, you remember when I healed the, the, the blind dude? Do you remember when the ten lepers were healed and only one came back and fell at my feet? You would think he would say, hey, Peter, do you remember when I said cast all your nets on the right side of the boat? And when you did, all of these fish filled up your net. You would think that would be the conversation. But it wasn't. In fact, Matthew records that Jesus said this. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. 
he says, go and make disciples. And then he says, baptizing them. Go and make disciples and then baptize them. Everybody say baptize. Baptize. Say it again really loud. Really, really loud. Jesus said, I want you to go and spread the message. And once you see that people have received the message and they have an inward knowledge, then baptize them so that there's this outward sign of the inward knowledge. When I think about this particular concept, I think about, really, I, I get a visual of an emotionally charged conversation that he's having with the disciples. I want you to do two things. Go and introduce people to me. And then secondly, once they have a knowledge of me, baptize them. These are the last recorded words of Christ. So think about this with me for a second. This is important. These are the very last words, the very last thing that he could say to the disciples. He gives them instructions about baptism. But what's even more beautiful is this is the last thing that he does in his public ministry. Do you know how he began his public ministry three years before? By being baptized. Think about this concept with me. So he starts his public ministry out three and a half years before by being baptized. And three and a half years later, the very last thing that he says to his disciples is about baptism. So his ministry is bookended when it comes to baptism. He starts it that way and he finishes it that way. In fact, Matthew chapter 3 captures the very story of the baptism of Christ. And I want us to look at this thing together because it it captures the very essence of who Christ was through baptism. Can can we read this together? We're going to read it. Everybody say, we're going to read it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Let's read a few of these verses. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, here we go. Look what he says here. Matthew records this. In those days... John the Baptist, he came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 3, this is who he was speaking, uh, or who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Now keep this in mind, 750 years before this event took place, the prophet Isaiah said, this is going to take place in 750 years. John the Baptist is going to be there, and this is what's going to happen. And so a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. I I love this. Verse 4, Matthew tells us, he kind of gives us this visual image of who John the Baptist was and some of the things that he did. Look at verse 4. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. Now, I I just have to talk about that for a second. Camel's hair. Fashion faux pas. Now, this is not the fashion of the day. Camel's hair is not the Louis Vuitton of the day. Camel's hair is not the Tommy Hilfiger of the day. Camel's hair is camel's hair. (laughs) Nothing cool about it. But look what he says here. He goes on to, to explain even more about him. It says that he had a leather belt around his waist. And then it talks about his high protein diet. His food was locusts and wild honey. Yum. Sign me up for that one. I think not. Look at verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. They were confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, just skip with me over to verse 11. 
John says this, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance sake, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now here's what's cool about this. John the Baptist is is either standing on the banks of the Jordan River or he may be waist deep in the Jordan River. There are hundreds of people that have gathered around and he is talking about this soon to be, this soon coming Messiah, this this Christ. And over to the side you see probably on some rock, I'm trying to give you a visual here, on some rock you see his, his coat of camel's hair. You see his belt, you see his lunchbox full of locusts. You see his jar of honey to dip the locust in. And then in verse 13, look what happens. Verse 13, the person he's been talking about, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I I need to be baptized by you, and and you come to be baptized by me? I want you to think about this with me for a second. Hundreds of people watching this thing take place. And John the Baptist and Jesus began this dialogue back and forth, back and forth. John is like, you come to me to be baptized? I, I, I think you should, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, no, uh, you're going to baptize me. No, Jesus, Jesus, no, you baptize me. And, and Jesus is like, no, you, you baptize me. And John's like, hey, I got a lunchbox full of locusts. You want some? And Jesus is like, no. There is this bantering that's going back and forth and back and forth because Jesus is about to cross over the threshold of his natural life, so to speak, into his public ministry. In a few moments, you're going to see several people who are going to begin their public ministry with Christ by being baptized. What blows me away, though, is if you really look at verse 14, John really ask Jesus a question. Why is it that you want me to baptize you? There are a lot of questions concerning baptism. In fact, as a pastor, baptism is probably ranks high on the list of all of the questions that I've ever received. Why? When? How? So today, I want to answer for you and with you some of the most frequently asked questions when it comes to baptism. But I want to add this caveat before we get started. I want you to hear me out clearly here. We, and I know, let me back up and say this. I know that many denominations do baptism in many different ways. I'm not knocking them. That's their prerogative. But we here at Epicenter Church, we adhere to Scripture's way of doing baptism. Does everybody hear me? The biblical way. So everything that I talk about today is straight out of the Bible. It's straight out of God's Word. The very first question, and I hope you're filling in the blank in your worship directory, the very first question that I'm asked probably most of the time is, what do we believe when it comes to baptism? And I want to make this simple for you. We believe that baptism is the very next step in your faith. It is the next step It is, once you become a Christ follower, it is the next step that you take to to profess your relationship with God and to deepen your relationship with God. I want you to hear me. 
It is the very next step that you take. It is the launching pad, if you will, for your new life. It is the launching pad for your new life with God. In fact, Jesus used baptism as the launching pad for his public ministry. You see, he's about to be baptized. He's, what he's saying is he's showing proof as to who he was and also proof as to who he was going to be. Look with me at verse 15. you got to see this. Verse 15, I'm going to break it apart in, in two different pieces. Jesus replied in verse 15, let it be so now. So he takes control of this conversation with John the Baptist and he says, let it be so right now. In other words, Jesus is saying to John, first things first, when you are baptized, you are aligning yourself with God. I want you to listen to me. You're aligning yourself with God. You are saying to the public that, that hey, I'm syncing up my life with God. You're, you're going public with this thing. That's first things first. But then look at the second thing that, that Matthew records. He says this, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's there for two reasons. The reason why he says that, number one, is it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's theologically sound. That's why it's there. But the second reason and the most important reason for us today that Jesus says that is because he is saying to you that it is the very first step of obedience when it comes to your relationship with Christ. Once you know who Christ is, the very first step that you take is to be baptized. You see, baptism is your public declaration that you are standing with Christ. It's your public declaration that you're standing with Christ. In fact, let me show you something. Hold your finger there in Matthew and flip with me over to Galatians. I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 3, I I, I love this. In fact, this particular verse excites me about today. Because Paul writes some incredible words when it comes to baptism. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and verse 27. He says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So faith in Jesus, we become sons of God. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Let me say that again. For all of you who are baptized with Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. What Paul is saying is this, you should be passionate about God once you find out who he is, and then you should baptize yourself. Now, in the original language, the clothing of oneself with Christ, it actually means to label yourself. So, so let me talk about this for a second. What does it mean to clothe yourself? How many of you in here are college sports fans? Raise your hand. If you've got a favorite college sports team, real high, raise your hand really high, this is Audience participation. You got a favorite college sports team? Okay, be quiet, I didn't ask you, so um, put your hands down. If you do not have a favorite college sports team, raise your hand. Wow, losers. Excuse me. I didn't say that. Just kidding. So I'm just kidding. No no nasty emails, sorry. Um, 
Here's what I want to do. For all of you who do have a favorite college sports team, on the count of three, when I get to three, I want you to shout out your personally your favorite college sports team. When I get to three now, all right? Are you with me? Okay. Let me back up. There's a cuss word in here. Um, <laughs> here we go. You ready? On the count of three, your favorite college sports team. One, you ready? Two, UNC Tar Heels. Three. All right. What I heard predominantly was this, was the UNC Tar Heels. So we're going to go with that. Now, here's the deal. What happens when you are a fan of the UNC Tar Heels? Here's what happens on game day. On game... Somebody else up here preaching. <laughs> Here's the deal. I want you to stick with me. Your college team, on game day, what do you do? You go and you put on the shirt. Woo! You put on the hat. You grab the flag and you go out the front of your house and you put the flag on your, on your house. And, and then what do you do? You go and you grab those little teeny flags and you hook them up to your car. You drive around town talking about, woo, yeah. You would see Tar Heels, yeah. Why? Because you are labeling yourself as a whomever, UNC Tar Heels fan. The same is true in your relationship with Jesus. When you are baptized, you are labeling yourself. You're you're putting on the the clothes, if you will, uh, of baptism. And you're saying, I am a Christian. You see, have you ever thought about this? Why did Jesus go to the Jordan River to be baptized? I want you to think about this. Why? The Jordan River was the most public venue that he could have possibly chosen. Why would he go there? Why wouldn't he go to a private ceremony? Why did he go to this place where thousands of people would conjugate during the day? They would go there for water. They would go there to fish. They would go there to wash their clothes. They would go there to watch John the Baptist. Why would he choose that particular place? Let me tell you why. Because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said that if you are a Christ follower, you must acknowledge God publicly. Hello? And so he did his baptism publicly. It is your public profession of faith. It is the outward sign of an inward knowledge. You see, baptism is to Christianity what the driver's license is to the driver. What the ring is to the wedding or to the marriage. What the t-shirt is to the sports fan. If you research baptism all throughout the New Testament, it's mentioned over 83 times just in the New Testament alone. If you research it, you know what you find out? Every single baptism was done the same way. In Acts chapter 2, it says all the new believers came together. They believed and then they were what? Baptized. In Acts chapter 8, Simon, he believed and then he was baptized. In Acts chapter 18, Paul led the synagogue ruler to Christ. And once he led him to Christ, the Bible said he believed and then he was baptized. Can I tell you something? Once you find destination salvation, the first thing that you do is you are baptized. You go deep with Christ to prove to the world where you stand when it comes to your faith. Number two. The second most frequently asked question is, why should I be baptized? I get this question a lot. Is, 
It's the baptismal pool. It's the water. Does it cleanse me? Does it wash away all of my moral filth? And the answer is no. There's no cleansing agent. It doesn't save you. It doesn't forgive you. The Bible says very specifically that you are saved by grace. Baptism is the symbolic expression that you have died with Christ and now you're raising to walk in a new way, to live with Christ. But so many times I hear this question, and I want you to pay close attention to me because I think many of you may be in this situation. Do I have to be baptized? Do I really, as a Christ follower, have to be baptized? And when I hear that question, you know, I begin to think, why this question? What's the underlying agenda? What they're really asking me when they ask that question is, do I have to be baptized in order to go to heaven? That's what they're really asking. And the answer simply is no, you don't. Because think about Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. He had two criminals, one to his left and right. One of those criminals came to the realization of who Jesus was, and Jesus said to him, from this day forward, you will be with me where? In paradise. He didn't say, hey, dude, you got to get down off the cross. Go find you a puddle somewhere and dip yourself. And then you can be with me in paradise. He didn't say that. He didn't do that. You see, but here's the deal. If you physically can be baptized, you need to be. Because so many times when I hear that question, I have to think, are these people who are asking me that question, are they truly saved? Because if you are truly saved, if you're truly a Christ follower, here's what God is asking you to do. To think about all that he's done for you, to believe it, and then to be baptized. That's what he's asking. So why should I be baptized? Because it is biblical. Here's the third reason. The third question is, at what age should I baptize? Now, I want everyone to listen to me very carefully here because I do not want to step on any toes. I want you to listen to me. I'm saying this out of love. I'm just reading to you what Scripture says when it comes to this concept. So many times I hear, should we baptize infants or should we baptize those who are spiritually mature enough to make the faith decision? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says to baptize those who are spiritually mature enough to make the faith decision. What does it say about being baptized as an infant? Can I show you? What does the Bible say about being baptized as an infant? I want to show you. Hang on. What does it say? Nothing. It's not there. I'm sorry. You thought I was going to give you something profound. It's not there. It's not there. So we at Epicenter Church, we baptize those who are spiritually mature enough to make the faith decision. Now, listen to me. If you were baptized as an infant, I'm not at all saying your baptism did not take. I want you to hear me. I'm not at all saying that. Praise the Lord that you were baptized as an infant. Do not flatten my tires in the car and in the parking lot. I'm not saying that. 
What I am saying to you is, biblically speaking, I am challenging you. If you were baptized as an infant and you have made a faith decision since that baptism, you probably should be rebaptized. You know why? Because it's biblical. You know what else? I've never heard anyone who's been baptized for the second time say, I shouldn't have done that. Because it's biblical. Understand that. Question number four is this. How wet do I need to get? <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of you have been there. Should I be spritzed? Should I be sprinkled? Or is it immersion? Fully submerged. Let's look at how Jesus did it. Look with me at Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. I want you to see this. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized... He did what? He went up out of the water, signifying that he was completely submerged. He went up out of the water. Are you with me here? Let me tell you a joke here real quick. I shouldn't do this, but I want to make sure everybody's with me. There was this drunk dude who was baptized. Has anybody ever heard this joke? Okay, well, I'm going to tell it again for those of you who don't give it away. And he went down to the river to be baptized. And when he goes to the river to be baptized, he was drunk. And so the, the preacher baptizing him actually says, okay, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he holds him down. And when he pulls him back up, he says, hey, did you find Jesus? And the drunk guy said, no. So he said, okay, I'm going to do this again. He puts him down. He holds him a little bit longer. And then he jerks him back up. And he says, hey, did you find Jesus? No. So he takes him down for the third time, and he holds him there until the bubbles are just about gone. He jerks him up, and he says, did you find Jesus? And he said, are you sure this is where he went down? (laughs) Sorry. It just came to me. Um, (laughs) Woo, crazy. Um, So anyway, Jesus being baptized. Let's get back to the point. Do you know that when it says Jesus was baptized, it uses the word in the Greek, baptizo. The word Greek in the Greek, baptizo, actually means to dip or to submerge or to dunk or to hold down for a long period of time. Literally, that's what it means. You see, that's the way Jesus was baptized. That's the way we baptize. That's the way every single person in the New Testament was baptized this way. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, I want you to see this, and I'm I'm about to close. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this. This is Paul writing. He says, we, when Paul says we, Paul is not just making reference to himself or to Timothy or or to Silas, or any, he's making reference to we as Christ followers. We, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. This is what I love about baptism. You go down and you're buried with Christ. When you bury something, now just be just, let's just be transparent here. When you bury something, how do you do it? You don't sprinkle a little dirt on it. You bury it. When you are baptized, you're buried. You're totally immersed in, in, in the water. 
And when you come up, you're raised to this new life. In fact, look at Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 says in verse 16, At the moment that Jesus came up out of the water, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. This is powerful. If anyone says that baptism is just this symbolic thing, then they're wrong because you see the heavens parting and the Spirit of God falling down upon him like a dove. Verse 17, and God says from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. You see, in all honesty, when you go down and you are totally immersed in water, and then you come up, you are raised not only into a new life, but you're raised into a new ministry. You see, as a Christ follower, you're all ministers. Not just me, but you. You may have gone down in one way. Your old way may have been drug addiction or brokenness, despair or broken relationships or or just emotional difficulties. Your, your old life may have been mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. It may have been ugly. It may have been difficult. But once you come up, your new life is, hey, guess what? I'm a Christ follower. And with God, all things are possible. And with God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if my God is for me, then tell me who can be against me. And if I align myself with Christ, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Come on, somebody. Don't everybody go to shouting at one time. That's what's about to happen right here. I want you today to celebrate with this group of people who are being baptized today. Some of them did not make it this morning. We had a family who broke down on the way. But we have several who are going public with their faith. Not only that, but I want you to remember this. On July 31st, just in a few weeks, we're going to do another baptism because there's several of you in here today. You know that you need to be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you were as an infant. Maybe you fell away from Christ and you want to recommit yourself totally to him. So today I want you to celebrate with these people. Because they're going public with their faith. Bow your heads as I pray over you. Father, today I just thank you for the opportunity, God, to be your testimony.